Welcome to Scent 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Hello again. <laughs> the reason that Matt is saying hello again is because we have over 100 episodes and the glitches are so minor, and mostly they're me. Yeah, never. This is not our first try. <laughs> this is the third time we've hit record this morning for this episode. The humanity of Matthew <sighs> Hall. It must be because you're under the a lot of pressure. Special guest this yeah, you're under today. a lot of pressure. It, explain to everybody what kind of pressure we're under here, or at least you are. My daughter is in town from Georgia, and she is a math doctor yes a doctor of math which she uh, fixes sick math she does she does any math that's disgusting (laughs) she can make it better no she's brilliant and i'm so happy to have her with us today she's going to do a couple of things one is today she's going to explain to people like me what advanced applied mathematics is yeah okay Mm -hmm. because like we were saying earlier in the unrecorded version of this, <laughs> I Googled it, and there's all sorts of fields of math. Did you know that, Brittany? I did know Doctor, that. I thought you might. But applied mathematics means putting it to work, and it's there's just a huge amount of ways that you can put math to work, like in engineering and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now they're educated. Why don't you give them a little more depth to that? <laughs> yeah, so the name is a little bit of a misnomer because there's basically two big divisions of mathematics the study of mathematics there's pure mathematics and there's applied mathematics okay and applied mathematics is not always as applied as it sounds okay there's still a lot of the mathematical back work but the main idea is that you're approaching some type of real life problem and there are tons and tons of different branches of applied math so i work in differential equations of course yeah So, my dissertation was actually on modeling a gut microbiome. Oh, yeah. That's a big deal. So, yeah. So, basically looking, to put it in applications terms, looking at how we can optimize good bacteria in your gut. Right on. That's smart and good and important. My wife has educated me to gut health. Yeah. My mom's really big big on gut health. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So, Let me ask you this. First of all, I want to go a couple of different directions today, and I'm really glad you're here. One thing is just a peek behind the scenes. What's it like to be Matt Hall's daughter? (laughs) Tell me about that. That's all I know. (laughs) So you can't really compare it to So, yeah, I don't really have a comparison. I don't know what it's like to not be Matt Hall's daughter. (laughs) Okay, I get that. This might be a complicated conversation here, Matthew. She's not spilling the beans, and that's all I wanted. Did you Uh, know that your grandpa was on the show? No. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. We did a Zoom back to somewhere in Italy, right? Yeah, season one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it was in English. It wasn't in Italian. It was, and it was, it was really, really cool. good. You, That's you, good. So people that could understand it. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Now, very understandable. Your grandfather is a great communicator. Yeah. The guy who founded. Now, if I got it right, TBN in Europe. Yep. I get TBN. It? Yep. Yeah. Right on. Enough about the family stuff. (laughs) One of the reasons why I was really interested in talking to you is that Scent 315 is about sharing your faith with gentleness and respect to everybody who asks and talk about the hope that's in you. Mm -hmm. There are some places that's harder to do that or more dangerous to do that. Mm -hmm. So academia, my perception is, and from some of the guests that we've had on, that that can be difficult to navigate. Have you found that to be true? Yes, definitely. I'm very grateful. The Lord's been really kind. I think I've had a very diverse experience in some ways because 
I went to Christian high school for high school. And you can't share your faith there. You'll be in real trouble. Yeah. And then I went to California Baptist University. Okay, for Baptist is right in the name. Undergrad, yep. And so in both of those academic circles, I obviously got an education that was very integrated with my faith. And then I went to grad school at Auburn. Okay. Which being in the Bible Belt is just an interesting place to be because there's a lot of cultural Christianity, yeah. but a lot of people that don't really know Christ. They just think that they're Christians because they've grown up going to church and yeah. they believe they're in God born Christian. and they were born Christian. But yeah. being at a big public university is different because that was my first experience really having professors that were not believers. Mm. How did you know they weren't believers? How did that come across from those professors? So the ones that I knew better, I would say just flat out from their expressions, mm. not facial expressions, but like expressions of lack of faith at yeah. least. And so, and sometimes I think some of the more conservative values that follow believing the gospel just are so antithetical to the culture. And yeah. so when you see somebody on the other side of that, it's very clear. Sure. Not to say that I didn't have great professors and I didn't love them, but very different kinds of relationships than I had with my professors in undergrad at Cal Baptist, where we did have our faith in common, and mm -hmm. that was something that I was encouraged in. However, my experience at CBU was so pivotal because as somebody who's always really been pretty good at school, that was a lot where I found my identity. And... College was really where I was challenged to see my primary identity not as a good student or someone who is smart, but as somebody who's created in God's image. Mm -hmm. And my professors were really pivotal in that. And so translating over to when I got to Auburn in grad school and I was a GTA, so I'm teaching classes, that's something even there that I felt like that was a really fluid in because talking about people's inherent value is like a really great segue into yeah. the gospel hmm. because I try to start a lot of my classes by telling my students and sometimes the conversation has to come later after they know me a little bit sure. and we have more of a relationship. Normally it comes after the first test when a lot of them haven't done very well or they're not feeling so great about it. And they're looking for mercy. Yeah. I just take a moment to say, your value doesn't come from this test grade wow. and how you do in this class. And I hope you know that at, no matter what grade you make in the class or how well you do or how often you come to class or how much homework you do or whatever, that's not going to decrease how much I love you or increase how much I love you because I think that you have value because you're created in God's image. Wow. That's beautiful. What you just shared and what you said to that student is biblical truth, mm -hmm. but you didn't have to start off with, let me tell you what the Bible says about that. Right. It's finding common ground right. when that's what creates relationship and gives you the opportunity for them to ask questions or for you to take mm -hmm. them deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And I think it lets it opens the door to the potential for deeper relationships with students because and this isn't obviously I don't do this perfect. I've had quite a few students that really did not like me. <laughs> but 
by and large, it's created opportunities when students are going through really hard things. And that could be on either end of the spectrum, something we would consider to be small or minute in the grand scheme of things or some really hard things. I want my office to be somewhere where they feel like they could come and they can talk to me about it. And so I would say that those kinds of conversations are really where I've had more opportunity to share rather than from the front of the classroom. The lectern. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense. What I hear you saying, and and I would encourage everybody who's listening to grab a hold of this one, is start with love and respect and honoring that person. Mm-hmm. And that can open doors for you. Mm-hmm. Love, we were talking recently about insidious cunning yeah. and diabolical well, evangelism yes. is treating people with love and respect. Right. Oh, no, let's try that. And especially people that you know are different than you. I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned moving to the South after having grown up in Southern California. Very big culture shock, even amongst my, especially amongst my believing friends, because the church that I joined there, which... I loved. My dad got to come visit was when he came for my graduation. Grace Heritage Church in Alabama has really become like my family. Right and on. but they all looked very different than I did when I came. I was twenty five, just turned twenty five when I got there. Most of my friends that I met that were my age were married, women that didn't go to college, that were having kids and stay at home moms and There was nothing wrong with that. It just looked very different than what I was doing. I didn't know anybody else that was my age, single, a woman getting their PhD. Yeah. And the Lord taught me a lot in that season about being in community with people that don't look like you. Come on. Yes. And I learned so much. It was a very difficult season, but it turned out to be the sweetest thing and gave me some of the closest friends because of our differences in the ways that we were able to fill in in each other's lives. In a different vein, I think that when we think about people that look different than us, like politically look different than Mm -hmm. us, ideologically look different than us, I don't think that the most effective form of evangelism or reaching people with the gospel is to start with the things that make them so different than us and estranged from us, but rather starting with the thing that we all have in common, which is that every human being is created in God's image. And that's something that I can say because I know that's true because the Bible says it. I don't know where each person is at spiritually. Sure. Right. I don't know their relationship to the Lord, but I do know that they're created in his image. And just because of that, their life has value and meaning. And so I can treat them with respect even when they're somebody that I greatly disagree with. Right. This is what Jesus did. I read this book one time, and it was about engaging with people that are gay. And one of the things that I loved about it was it said, when you start with Jesus, the gospel doesn't start with you or your sin even. It starts with who God is. Yeah. And the point is not to show how awful and bad this thing is. It's to show how beautiful Jesus is and how attractive he is. And that's 
something that I want to strive for. And it's something I feel very blessed to be at the workplace that I'm at Barry College in Georgia because it's a small private school. It is quote unquote founded on Christian principles, but Liar. it is not refili- it's not religiously affiliated. Gotcha. And in conversations I've had with administration and being hired, they recognize our president especially recognizes that there's a tension in the culture there and they want that tension. It's an it's intentional. <laughs> and I love that. I love that so much. So I feel like I'm in a really unique position as a believer because I'm in a place where there are a lot it's not like my time at CBU where you know, all of the faculty and staff have to sign some kind of profession of faith to mm-hmm. work there. It's not like that. There's, I work with Muslims. So there are lots of different faith backgrounds here, but there's an openness to the conversation that I don't think that you have in most settings. And is what you're saying that tension is a positive tension? Yes. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that was clarified. Give a flavor of that positive tension because I think I understand it, but I want to make sure everybody does. So I would say that at our college, there are people on every side and in between the spectrum, politically, (laughs) ideologically, on any kind of hot topic issue. And for example, in like the opening convocation of the of the school, the president talked about how this next year is going to be a potentially tenuous year with the upcoming election. Okay. And having a student population that's varied. You have a lot of really liberal students, you have a lot of really conservative students. They want to engage. One of the things that Barry College talks about is having a good neighbor culture, like addressing, hey, things are going to be tense and you're going to be in classes where there might be triggering conversations and you might feel really strongly one way or the other. We want to know how do we live in community in the midst of that tension. Yeah. And to me, that is been and is so incredibly refreshing because it's so much more realistic than how tribal our country in particular has gotten over the last few years of, I think this thing, I see this way, so I'm going to stay over here in my tribe with the people who see things the way that I do. Yeah. And that's just a microcosm of society in general, right? Mm-hmm. Where church is ethnocentric, and you're, we all say the same thing, supposedly, when it's, we all have to look alike, talk alike, say all the same thing, mm-hmm. and then we hate everything that's outside of that bubble. Right. So that community that you're in, it's like a little experiment there going on. And that question is a really good question. So did he help people walk through that or did she help people walk through that? Yeah, he. This was an address to a, a lot of different people, but they have workshops on and different supports for engaging those kinds of topics. I think why I found it the most refreshing is that's what the real world looks like. Exactly. So when our students graduate and they go out there, whether or not, Lord willing, they are or become believers, or they're not, we need to know how to interact with people in a loving way and be able to disagree with people and not create echo chambers. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess what I'm saying by why I feel so privileged to be there is because there is a freedom 
to have gospel conversations with students in settings that I think I would not have in a big public university. Yeah. But there is still a lot of people to be reached there. And when I knew that I wanted to be a college professor, I knew that there were two different mission fields I could be called to, two different types of ministries. I could work at a school like my undergrad where there are plenty of non-believers at CBU. The students do not have to sign a profession of faith. I had plenty of non-believing friends in college. But for the most part, I would say that the ministry working in a place like that would be largely discipleship. Right. And like I'm so grateful for all of the discipleship that I got going there. And it was a really expensive school. I have a lot of student loans from going there and I think that they're worth every penny. I hear you make billions in applied advanced mathematics, right? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't come um, from Google. So, in theory, you can make a lot of money as a mathematician, <laughs> but not in academia. Have you had any of those conversations with people that thought very differently than you, that were meaningful and progressed what That's you could talk question. to? I don't know that I really have yet. I think I have definitely have students that have... I don't know that I have been in some of those situations as bold as I wish I had been, Hmm. if I'm being completely honest. That is honest, and it's good. It's something to take a look at. However, from how this conversation is going and how articulate you are, you would be the kind of person that if I wasn't a Christian, I would want to have that conversation Mm -hmm. with. And I think just from your persona and, and... and um, the, the way you come across it, that's an opportunity that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I really want to hear about it. Yeah. I think there are a lot of Christians that are in those types of environments that, that need to just get up and pray and say, Father, show me an opportunity and be able to step into it. Yeah. You don't strike me as a person who says, I'm not going to have those conversations because I'll blow it. I'll distort the gospel or I won't have an answer for tough questions or something. So I think you're primed for this, yeah. really. I think... Another thing is um, our sanctification is not linear. It She says that a mathematician, Matt. Hopefully it has an upward trend, but one also of my, no, it goes around in circles too. One of one of one of my pastors during Sunday school last year, we were talking about it and he drew a couple different graphs of what it could look like for some people and our just our spiritual growth is not linear like that but nope. we know that we're not where we started and yeah. i think i look at the trajectory of my faith and the ways that i've grown and i think that there were seasons where i was more bold mm-hmm. in college i would say i shared the gospel more that was my biggest evangelistic season And now, something I've actually been thinking a lot about lately, and just being here, honestly, is convicting in that way, is praying more like Peter and the apostles did in in Acts 4.29, where they're literally being imprisoned for sharing the gospel, and their prayer is not for God to deliver them from the persecution, Mm -hmm. but for Him to give than boldness to continue to share. But I'll tell you, when I saw that verse, and I've been thinking it before you just brought it up, and I think this is the Lord, there's another angle on that too. Mm. Help us, Father, to love 
boldly, mm. to be bold in our love, not to be more outspoken necessarily. And of course, there's times we've got to speak up. Right. And the, the gospel needs to be confessed. There's words that are involved for sure. Right. But also just to be bold in my love, to be outside of my comfort zone and how I love and serve and display the character of Jesus to each other. Mm-hmm. I've seen that with people like... I'm an evangelist. I got buddies that are evangelists. And it has been nonlinear. There's, it, I think mine has become more relational, mm-hmm. more investing than just a guy at a bathroom at a wedding for people who know that story. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah, she's a lover. Seriously, like that's what's impressed me the most about watching her with her community is the depth of uh, concern and love that they carry for each other mm-hmm. and what they approach, how they approach life with it. Yeah. So every person that they come in contact with is potentially someone that can join in on that. And the enemy can jump in on that because conviction is good, right? right? You go, aha. But the enemy wants to turn it into shame right. and right. attack you in it when you could very well be in, impacting a whole bunch of people by your example, by your godliness, all of that. So we got to kick the enemy out of that equation. For sure. And I think that like what about is kind of pivotal to that too is we're not meant to be, we're, we're not saved into isolation Yeah. from the very beginning of scripture. We see God is a God of community, right? He exists in three persons. So hmm. the very first thing that he says is not good is that Adam is alone in the garden. Yeah. And so we're not created to try to do things on our own. And that's a big part of, honestly, the season that I'm in right now, moving, trying to find a new church. That's been the hardest part. I miss my friends and my family mm. back in Auburn, but... Sundays are my hardest days, but um, the community that I have there, the sisters that I have in the Lord, my pastors there, they are and have been and will be, I think, the most helpful tool and resource in guarding against conviction becoming shame, Yep. but also not ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit to repent of our sin, even when it's just a sin of negligence, Yeah, right? One of my best friends there, her name's Kara, I think she has been the biggest example to me of a friendship in the Lord that always calls me back to Christ, but does so in the most gracious way. She's the first person that I became friends with that I actually learned what it would look like to confess my sin to her. And the way that she responds, responded and responds as I continue to stumble and need that taught me a lot about what Christian friendship looks like and should look like. Yeah, she's been a really good resource of learning to meet me where I'm at, but not let me stay there and not make me feel bad about the ways that I've stumbled in a shameful way, but in a way that points me back to the cross. And so I think that those types of relationships are pivotal in in determining conviction and calling from the Lord. None of those things I don't believe should be done in isolation. Now, we need each other, and the Bible's very clear about the world's going to look at how we love each Mm -hmm. other, and that's 
they're going to go, wait a minute. And it, it actually says it, they'll understand that the Father sent the Son by the way that we love each other. Yeah. And on Boy, top, is that a theme or something? Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. We started with a blank page, the definition of math, and I didn't know where it would go, but this is really deep and important. Mm-hmm. It yeah. really is. So since we're, we've just forgot about the guardrails and everything, have you read the book, The Language of God? Mm-mm. Okay, so The Language of God was written by a Christian doctor who was in this big contest to map the human genome. Mm. Japanese team was going, want to beat the Japanese, so he's got this American team, and he was a Christian. Mm. And he said, DNA is the language of God. Mm-hmm. And I went, dude, so my real scientific friends, and you're an idiot, and it doesn't make any sense, I go, let's trade books. And that's one of the books that I will give people that are very smart, but not in relationship with Jesus, because it's just like, hey, here's a really smart person, and he seemed to find something of value there, and don't reject things that you don't investigate, Mm -hmm. and I've had valuable conversations with folks like that. What about God and math? Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. I think a really helpful book on this topic is called Mathematics for Human Flourishing by Francis Sue. Okay, so just a second. Mathematics. People are writing this down. <laughs> Mathematics for Human Flourishing by Francis Sue. And how does Mr. Mrs. How does Doctor. Be a doctor, how did yeah. they can go anyway? How Last does, name how is was, SU. That's all I was asking yeah. for, yes. He actually oh. won he won this award some years ago, the Haimo Teaching Award from the Mathematical Association of America. And in his speech, he talked about what made him a good teacher was the fact that he gave grace. And that was actually a huge turning point for me. Um, he came and spoke at a colloquium at CBU when I was in college, which was pretty pivotal in me where I was finding my identity. But I think he and that book gives a really good framework for the beauty of math. And it's very undertoned from Dr. Sue is a believer, but he doesn't come straight out and say these things, but it it, it is pretty interesting. Math is axiomatic. Do you know what that means? I could take a grab at it, but I don't think I really know what it means. I don't. Okay. Depending on which field you're in. So, for example, I work in real analysis. And so, we deal with the field axioms. So, axioms are basically some true statements that you take to be true, uh, but they're not proven. Okay. Okay. The way that my math education was presented to me in college because I was taught by believers and CBU is really big on integrating faith into your content area was that's a lot how our faith works. Our faith is axiomatic that there are certain things that you have to take to be true. But what we do mathematically, when we prove theorems and propositions, we take these few axioms and we build all of the rest of the structure that we know of mathematics from these few axioms. So for example, in geometry, this would be Euclid's postulates. So certain things like you can draw a straight line between any two points. Okay. Or a field axiom would be the commutivity of addition. So the fact that A plus B equals B plus A for any two numbers. We can't prove that. That's an axiom. Okay. That's some, But we know it's true. 
Yeah, right? I believe that. Like two plus three is three plus two, right? It doesn't yeah. matter which order you add them in. But that would be true replacing two and three with any other number. So those are axioms. We don't prove those things. There's a few things faith-wise I think Hebrews talks about faith being believing without seeing, believing mm-hmm. in the things that are unseen. So I think math is very a very similar structure to this the axiomatic nature of our faith because there are things that we can't prove, but then Peter says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. Yes, he did. Yes, there are things that we take on faith, but then we're not to be unintelligent or unreasoning people. And so I think that the way that we do things mathematically relates a lot to the way that we believe. We don't just assume things are true, right? In math, you have to prove crazy things. I'm teaching real analysis for the first time this semester. One of the things that my students had to prove in the beginning of the course is that something like five plus zero equals five. They have to prove that. Yes. Actually, that's one of the axioms, but they have to prove, sorry, that five times zero equals zero. That would be something that they had to prove. Okay. Right? You know that anything times zero is zero. They told me that. Yeah, they told you that. I have found it to be true. But we prove it. Mathematically, we prove it. (laughs) Right on. But that proof is based on the axioms. You have to use those statements that you know to be true that you can't prove. There's a lot about our faith that we can prove. But there are some things that, biblically defined, we just have to take on faith. Yeah. Okay, I got a couple of things. One is, I can see clearly why your dad is so proud of you. I get it. And just in the short time that we've been talking, I see your authenticity, your vulnerability. Thank you for just being open. And the other thing is, and I don't know if you've heard this from the Lord, but I just get this strong feeling that you've got a book in you. Mm. And so I don't know if you've thought about those lines, but I just want to, if the seed isn't already planted, I want to plant that for you because the things that you're saying and just your willingness to open up and show us the insides of you, Mm. I want to encourage you to go and I want a copy. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's incredibly kind. Okay. I want to thank you for being on here. Yeah. God bless you. I want to stay connected. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Because Kyle, I don't know. You know how to reach me. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. going to, I'm not going to have to want go your direct contact. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and, and thank you so much for sharing. We try to, there's different groups of people come from different styles of communication mm-hmm. and everything, and there's coming from different places. Some of them are UFC fighters. This was the one for all the smart people, Matt. Nicely done. <laughs> so God bless you, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, hon. Bye-bye. <laughs>